Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. We can grow as a byproduct of suffering, sometimes in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise, where something painful happens and the pain is not good in of itself, but sometimes it it helps us to see things in a different way. It sort of loosens up our views of things that aren't quite right. You know, one of my stories of suffering, which was uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2013, and so it went through a whole you know year of treatment. You know, that was painful. There was a lot of suffering there, but there were definitely ways that both of us grew as a result of that by processing it that, you know, that I don't think I would have otherwise. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons here on Faith Radio. As Gabe, we're continuing with our special series of conversations around science and virtue. And one area where science, neuroscience in particular, has really helped us understand ourselves better is that need we all have for living connected lives. These next couple of weeks, I want to talk a little more about the ways in which our relationships with one another and technology are affecting us. And today we're going to focus more on each other and the loneliness epidemic. I know we've all heard those terms. You can almost tire of hearing about it because you're like, okay, I know I get it already. But what I want to do today is us explore. What does it look like for us to start to push beyond just saying we're lonely, but understand attachment theory, understand some of these deeper pieces of the way God's designed us that are so important that if we could understand and grasp them, We'd understand they're not just about our current age. They're not just about 2022. This has been true of human beings for all of time. And I think today you're going to get to understand that better by hearing from Dr. Todd Hall. Dr. Todd Hall is somebody who has uh, his MA and PhD in clinical psychology from Biola University and an MA and doctoral specialization in measurement and psychometrics from UCLA. This guy has done the work, understands the way our brains are functioning, the way we need connection, why we're designed that way, why God designed us that way, and the ways in which that affects our spirituality. His most recent book, The Connected Life, The Art and Science of Relational Spirituality, was written a year ago, but the forward was by Kurt Thompson. You've heard from Dr. Kurt Thompson on this podcast, as well as at our culture summits and other events, because he's someone as well that we trust with neuroscience. Um, we also have a Q podcast with Kurt Thompson called NeuroFaith, where we talk deeply with other scientists, with other people who are investigating these connections between the way our brains are wired in this whole new world of research and science that we're now just coming to understand about the way our brains are designed and how those affect human relationships, how they affect the way that we think. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the NeuroFaith podcast. Kurt has done a couple of seasons of the podcast already, and more are on the way. You can find it on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and such. Again, just look for NeuroFaith with Kurt Thompson. Again, a production of Q Ideas. Let's get to Gabe's conversation today with Todd Hall about overcoming disconnection here on Q Ideas.
We're talking about this very important conversation that I feel like our society has woken up in the last decade too. And and I think every year that goes by, more and more people are becoming more aware of how lonely we are, how much we're lacking something in our lives. And some people can't quite put their hand on it. And I feel like you and several others in this field of understanding how our brains work and how relationships are supposed to work are helping kind of put our finger on it. And so today I'm, I'm excited for people to just better understand how you come at this. You, you wrote the book, The Connected Life, The Art and Science of Relational Spirituality. Um, and it's such a great book because it helps inform these connections that are unique and really hardwired into human beings that some people haven't paid as much attention to. So why don't we start with just give us the big idea and the concept that you were working through when you wanted to communicate this. Yeah, yeah. I think you're definitely right, Gabe. This, it is great to see society sort of awakening to this conversation about connection and loneliness and isolation. It's a huge issue, as you know. Maybe I'll just tell you a little bit about the, the impetus for the book um, really goes back to my story of disconnection, which I talk about a little bit in the book. And I think that is a mirror of what, you know, what we're experiencing in our society. So many people and Christians included feeling a sense of disconnection. And so the short version of my story is that as far back as I can remember, my mom struggled with pretty significant mental health issues. My parents split up when I was pretty young, uh, around nine years old. And so that all led to an overall sense of disconnection in my family and with friends and within myself. And then fast forward to college, after I'd become a Christian, I hit this period of just really feeling a lot of distance with God and, and kind of a split between you know what I knew about God in my head and how I experienced God in my relationship. And I later realized that all this, this pain and disconnection in my relationship with God was linked back to these childhood experiences. So that really has been kind of the journey I've been on is learning to grow from disconnection to, you know, learning how to connect deeply with God and others and still a journey that I'm on. And so this book is really about trying to help others on that journey and um, that I've been on also as a therapist, you know, helping people with that. And so, the, I mean, the big idea really is that we grow spiritually through relationships. And, you know, one of the phrases I use in the book, Gabe, to kind of capture that is that we're loved into loving, that we become more loving sanctified and grow spiritually through new relational experiences mm-hmm. and through connection. Yeah. And I think the, you know, you talk about the trend in your book towards the loneliness and isolation in our society. How do you think our mental health and the pandemic has exacerbated that, accelerated that? And and what has that shown us? And, and do you see the results of what we're now seeing as Negative in, for what people are feeling, but positive in this field to really grapple with some things that maybe would have taken longer for us to figure out. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right, Gabe. Yeah, I think that the positive byproduct of all the pain that we've been going through as a society is an awareness and a willingness to have this conversation. So, yeah, we've seen, you know, as I talk about in the book, uh, and many others are talking about a, a rise in in loneliness and mental health issues. Um, even before the pandemic, right? So I talk about this as a connection crisis, that there's been uh, loneliness has doubled since the 1980s. Uh, Vivek Murthy has talked about this, the former surgeon, U.S. US surgeon General, and declared loneliness to be an epidemic in our country. And as you probably know, in the U.K., a few years ago, they instituted a minister of loneliness because it's such a big issue there. And we've seen, you know, fragmentation of the family in the last 50 years, decrease in community or social capital uh, that Robert Putnam, you know, social scientist talks about in his book, Bowling Alone. 
increase in anxiety and depression. Depression has increased tenfold in the last two generations. So that was all happening before the pandemic, this connection crisis. And the pandemic just really made it worse, you know, with just the churches shutting down, remote working, so people feeling more isolated and alone. And one of the trends we're seeing too, Gabe, is that the younger generation, Gen Z, are struggling more as a result of the pandemic. But we are definitely seeing more mental health issues, more loneliness because of the pandemic yeah. in the church and, you know, just across society and companies are trying to deal with this as well. It's such a huge issue for employees as well. What is it that causes disconnection in our lives? What, what did you, in your analysis, find are the, the reasons in which we become disconnected? And then how does that start to show up in our relationships? Because obviously a lot of people feel like they have maybe a lot of friends or people they spend time with, but there's still a huge disconnect. Yeah. So some of it's the, you know, the external circumstances like the pandemic, like we've been talking about, but then there's this deeper issue that really goes back to important relationships in our childhood. And so this is attachment. I talk a lot about attachment in the book. It's really crucial for our well-being. And so, you know, when we're, when we're children, we, most children develop an attachment bond with their caregivers and they rely on them for a sense of security and protection. Uh, And if that goes well in their security, that really sets you up well to um, have good relationships and have this internalized sense of security. But because of these struggles we've been talking about and the breakdown of the family, more and more people experience emotional isolation and disconnection with caregivers, right, growing up. And then what happens is those experiences get internalized in this gut level form of memory. And then they form sort of a template or a blueprint, if you will, for what we expect at a gut level about how relationships work. And so that's a risk factor for mental health issues. Then if we feel internally alone and feel like people aren't really going to be there for us because important people in our life weren't, that sort of sets us up for mental health issues and makes them more likely. Yeah. The attachment idea, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. For me, Rebecca and I learned a lot about that when we were adopting our daughter, Joy, uh, from China back four years ago. And we were required to do a lot of reading. And I loved it because we were forced to read some books that I thought every parent should be forced to read when they find out they're going to have a child. (laughs) And nobody made me do this until I was adopting and I'm learning about attachment. Yeah. And I really didn't understand that. I mean, I had three kids come before that and didn't understand the significance of these early years, the eye to eye contact, all of the things that a child in those earliest years are trying to navigate and figure out about their trust levels and who they can connect to and the importance of that. So for people who maybe haven't gone through that and haven't read a lot about attachment theory, could you just go a little deeper into what that means? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you're definitely not alone, Gabe. <laughs> a lot of people, yeah, don't don't really get the significance of it. And yeah, this is something we've learned a lot about in the last 50 years or so that, uh, again, so most children become attached by the time they're 12 months of age, and we're just kind of pre-wired for this attachment. And it's it's an invisible bond, and there's several characteristics of it. So one is children seek physical proximity with their parents, right? So attachment figures provide physical proximity. And when they're separated, they get distressed, and that's that's normal. Another thing they provide is what's called a haven of safety and a secure base. So that's just comfort. You know, when a child's distressed, they go to their attachment figure for emotional comfort, and then secure base is encouragement to explore the world. So when their parents have been there for them, when they're when they're upset, they know they have their back, so to speak, right? So then they feel safe exploring 
their world. And that sets them up well, you know, going into adulthood. And then there's just a sense of, you know, companionship or connection uh, as well that attachment figures provide. So there's different attachment tendencies, if you will, when it goes well and parents or attachment figures are comforting and empathic and responsive, meaning that they read emotional signals fairly accurately and respond to them in a helpful way, then they provide a sense of felt security, right, for the child. And that, again, like I said, that gets internalized or held in this gut level form of memory, right? So it's just this kind of relational knowledge that, you know, my parents have my back, they're going to be there, everything's going to be okay, right? That kind of feeling that's sort of deep in the background. When that doesn't get provided and parents are instead maybe emotionally unavailable or neglectful or highly anxious themselves or abusive, then an insecure attachment develops. And so the child has to try to maintain the connection. It's sort of a pseudo connection because they still have to rely on their parents, right? So they, they try to work around the parents, so to speak, and they tend to either become highly anxious and that's, so that's one type of insecure attachment. And they're sort of preoccupied with the parents' whereabouts. Are they going to be there for me this time or not? Or they become really shut down and emotionally disengaged. And so, again, this forms a template or blueprint in our minds for how relationships work, including in our relationship with God. And so we carry this into adulthood. Now, I can change, and we can talk more about that, but those early years really are important. Yeah, you keep referencing this gut level understanding. Is that is that meaning the hardwiring that starts to happen and the neuro? The, what would be the right term for that? Like the, what's happening yeah, in these connections that we we can change, but they're more difficult to change as we get older. Right. Yeah. So gut level, what I'm referring to there is, is kind of relational knowledge. So it's different than head knowledge, right? Some things we kind of know with ideas, but we have this sort of gut level sense or intuition about how relationships work and and why that's so powerful is because it operates outside of our conscious awareness. And so it just sort of drives how we, how we experience relationships, how we relate to others, especially in important relationships. And it, it is harder to change and it's more messy to change than just things we know in our head. Although it can, it can change through new relational experiences. Yeah. So you have a section in the book on this idea of relational knowledge where you're distinguishing between explicit and implicit relational knowledge. Could you describe the difference and how this distinction might impact the way we view spirituality? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important idea, I think. And so the basic idea is that there's two very different ways of knowing. And we, you know, we kind of experience this all the time. And I mentioned it, you know, in my story early on that I experienced the split between, you know, what I knew about God in my head and how I experienced God. So Explicit knowledge is conceptual knowledge or head knowledge. It's knowing of knowing about, right? Sometimes referred to as propositional knowledge. Implicit knowledge or implicit relational knowledge is this gut level or intuitive or experiential kind of knowledge. It goes by different names, but they're very different. And implicit relational knowledge is like an internal code or wiring that tells us how to relate to others to maximize the chance of some form of connection based on our previous experiences. And again, it just sort of drives how we experience relationships outside of our conscious awareness. Yeah. You you talk a little bit about suffering, and, and I know it seems, at least for Christians, and, and that's majority of who's listening to this conversation, that suffering's what we're told is just going to be part of life. Like, if you're not suffering, you're you're living in a way that's a complete exception to what we've been told is what life would be like. And you talk a little bit about this idea of suffering 
being an important component to finding connection. Could you talk about that and just help shed light on why, how we could maybe look at our suffering and embrace it a little more in light of this concept? Yeah. What I'm saying is that, you know, first of all, suffering is not good in and of itself, but that we can grow as a byproduct of suffering, sometimes in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise, right? We've had these types of experiences where something painful happens and the pain is not good in and of itself, but sometimes it it helps us to see things in a different way. It sort of loosens up our views of things that aren't quite right. And so that can help us to, to grow. Um, so there's, yeah, so I talk about some steps there and I talk a little bit about, you know, one of my stories of suffering, which was uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2013. And so it went through a whole, you know, year of treatment. You know, that was painful. There was a lot of suffering there, but there were definitely ways that both of us grew as a result of that by processing it that, you know, that I don't think I would have otherwise, you know, it led to a certain kind of dependence on, on God. And, um, I think helped me to get my priorities a little more straight. You know what I mean? Like what's really important, Sure, but it has to be processed. Anytime we go through those things, it's disorienting, but usually God's using them to draw us a lot closer to him as the source. And right reprioritize life and understand what matters and what doesn't. So there's all these great things that come out of it, but nobody signs up and wants it. Exactly. But, it, but yet we see how it's used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're at this moment in society where we need healthy leaders, emotionally healthy leaders that are aware enough to understand this context, but then to help people know what to do and how to move forward. And what would you say to leaders right now about their own connection? Because, you know, reading a lot of data, mm-hmm. we're seeing that a lot of leaders, and you especially look at the church, pastors, et cetera, are feeling more burned out than ever. They're feeling less emotionally healthy probably than ever. And let their, yet they're sitting in this place where they're supposed to be shepherding entire flocks of people and, right. and churches to perhaps be in a place where we need to be more emotionally strong and healthy than we've ever needed to be for the for the season that we're in culturally, for uh, the new challenges that people are experiencing. So talk a little bit about leaders right now and talk to them about why it's so important to not take this lightly and to, and to maybe take it pretty seriously if they're feeling signs of burnout or they're feeling a lack of emotional health. Right. So important, Gabe. It's such a great question. Um, you know, the pandemic really has exposed gaps in our leadership and created this widespread need for, I think, authentic human connection. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I think that's a good byproduct of a lot of the stuff we've been going through in society is that we're we're having this conversation now, right? Companies are talking about this, you know, in the church leadership level, this conversation is happening about mental health and the need for connection because so many people are struggling with mental health issues and loneliness and isolation all those kinds of things, depression, anxiety, distance from God. So, you know, there's a call now for leaders to show up in a different way, right, with more human connection. And that requires that we as leaders be on our own journey, right? We have to be doing our own work to understand our our own attachment. And, you know, a lot of times this kind of thing gets viewed as sort of you know, the soft skills are not as not very relevant, that kind of thing. But, you know, it has everything to do with with leadership, right? Your your degree of self-awareness and emotional security is going to filter and impact everything about how you show up as a leader. When conflict comes up, right? If you're not able to regulate your emotions because there's, you know, an insecurity internally, that's not going to go well, right? So you have to be able to manage your emotions, 
from a place of security and then be able to, to show up in a, in a helpful way. So it's very important. So I think the, the big point there is, for, you know, leaders need to be on their own journey, doing their own work, understanding their attachment, reconciling their pain. That's something I talk a lot about, right? If we don't reconcile our own pain, we pass it on to others, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of leaders, they don't want to go there to that place because once it starts to come out, like the things they're really feeling and thinking that they didn't realize they've been covering it up really well for a long time, maybe performing out of a sense of shame or a need to perform for love and acceptance that once you start to pull on that thread a little bit, I mean, it feels scary because you're like, is the thing that I'm doing motivated wrongly? Am I supposed to stop doing what I'm doing? How am I ever going to kind of get out of this mess maybe I've worked myself into. So for for people a little fearful and trepidation is surfacing as they think about pushing into their story more, why is it worth it? Yeah, that's so right on, Gabe. Yeah, it is it is scary, I think, for a lot of people because it's it's messy. Yeah, it's not a quick fix, but it's so important because yeah, the leaders need to be leading from a place again of emotional security and to to be able to attuned to others' emotions, you know, um, and to be able to, to have compassion, all those things. So they have to, they have to know their own story and be reconciling their pain. So I would just say, you know, it, it's a process, it's going to take time and it's a relational process, right? So that leaders need to be in their own process with some safe people in their life who they can share their story with and, and process things. And so ultimately this growth happens through new relational experiences that are safe and I think we as leaders need to model that, right? If we're not doing this ourselves, if we're not in our own process, we can't really expect people we're serving to be involved in that process as well, right? So we've got to be involved in that process. So it's just finding people who are safe, developing those relationships where you can share some of your story and process it and reconcile your pain and, and have these new relational experiences and then reflecting on, on those experiences. And and one of the big things, Gabe, I think is too, is just for leaders, helping them to understand how we protect ourselves in typical ways, because we all do that, right? And figure out those patterns, right? And then start to take new small steps to undo that pattern and kind of, you know, create a new cycle, right? Because we all have these cycles where we we expect certain things to happen. If I don't do this, you know, people are going to reject me or whatever. Um, if I reach out and I'm vulnerable. People aren't going to like me. People aren't going to respect my leadership, whatever it is, right? And that, again, often is kind of subconscious, right? So we've got to sort of become aware of that. Right. And then we tend to do things to to protect ourselves, which is understandable, but it usually ends up kind of sabotaging relationships in some ways. So we've got to be aware of that. That's good. Well, your work is a great start for somebody who's hearing this conversation and you're you're going, man, I don't even know where to start. I think this book is an incredible place to start, The Connected Life, The Art and Science of Relational Spirituality by Todd. And and so, Todd, one final question. I mean, I always admire people who've spent so much time and energy to learn, educate, understand these very specific areas of the way God's designed us. And I know you have a PhD in clinical psychology and an MA and a specialization in measurement and psychometrics from UCLA. So, I mean, you've done the work and the study. I'm curious, just in conclusion, what are you excited about on this front of science, neuroscience, what it's teaching us? What, what, what gets you excited about the possibilities of where we might be able to go as a human race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like we've been talking about that we're having this conversation 
on a national level now, and there's more understanding of the importance of relationships and connection, how it impacts us, you know, in society at large and in the church, right? We're having these these parallel kinds of issues and conversations. So I do see a movement, you know, in the last 20 years in particular, I would say, focusing on spiritual formation and, you know, more kind of a relational approach to spiritual growth. And I think there's some real traction there and, and actually, you know, more of an opportunity now with these things that have been happening as a result of the pandemic. So, yeah, I'm excited about the possibility that we can build this into the fabric of our church more, just the importance of relationships and attachment and focusing on connection with God at a deeper level. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and we hope you've enjoyed this special series we've been doing about science and virtue, and in particular, Gabe's conversation today with Todd Hall about the connected life and overcoming disconnection. And Gabe, there's a lot all of us can learn from this, but especially, I think, for those in leadership, there is this call to stay connected and to do the hard work of being connected and dealing with the tendencies we have to disconnect. I know I've had to do that. I've spent time with counselors and coaches and people who have helped me delve deeper into my story and some of those self-defense mechanisms that do pop up that I never would have understood until I had somebody who is better trained than I to help me understand and unpack the ways in which I react or I respond. And so for leaders that are listening, I know many of you are tired. Many of you aren't sure you have people around you you could maybe even trust to have these kind of deeper conversations. But uh, my prayer for you, my hope is that there's one person, that somebody comes to mind right now that you go, I could have a trusted conversation with this person, maybe gone a little further than I have in their emotional health. And they might be a great partner for you to just have a conversation with and to better understand the way we're wired, the way we react and respond and, and how we can ask some deeper questions. Because as Todd said, if we aren't healthy, there is no way we can lead others in a healthy way. It just stops with us if, if we're not healthy. And then there's all kinds of damage that takes place if we are in that place. So I hope this has been encouraging to you. And I hope as you continue your journey this week, join us next week where we're going to go even deeper into the ways in which technology and devices impact the way in which we as human beings are meant to function. So join us for that episode, share it with others, and have a great week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.